to the Work Life Flow podcast, where we moms take the reins of our lives, explore our options, question the status quo, and demand more from society. Here we come together to tell our stories and share tears of frustration as well as tears of joy. But most importantly, we come together to inspire you to create a work life integration that works for you. So pour yourself your favorite beverage and come hang out with us. Welcome to Work Life Flow episode 47. Today I had the honor to be interviewing Dr. Laura Frohen and we chatted about motherhood and why especially the moms or the parents who try to do better with their children, who try to implement positive parenting and respectful parenting. When there's a hiccup, why do we judge ourselves so much? So this is really, if you've been too hard on yourself lately and you notice that you have a lot of negative self-talk in your head, this episode is for you. It's all about self-compassion. It is about how we can show up in a way that is authentic, in a way that shows that we are human and that this is how resilient relationships are being built. With this episode, the Work Life Flow podcast is celebrating its first anniversary. Yes, I've been podcasting one whole year and it's been a journey. I have certainly grown more comfortable in the interviews and I hope you can actually hear that and appreciate that I'm not so nervous anymore. If you resonate with the message that I'm trying to spread here, that moms don't have to put themselves last in order to be good moms, but rather to recognize the individuals they spend their lives with and learn proper tools and techniques on how to leverage their strengths and when and how to support their challenges, then I would love for you to go and rate and review the Work Life Flow podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. This will help others to find it more easily. It will help the algorithm to actually propose to people to listen to this podcast. Another way of supporting this podcast would be by sharing with a friend. So if any of these episodes really resonate with you or make you think of a friend who could hear that message, why don't you go ahead and share it? I would appreciate this so much. Another way of staying in touch with me and receiving some trainings and cool tools would be to get on my newsletter list. And you can do that by downloading the four must-have checklists for kids so they get ready on their own while you sit back and relax and empower them doing so. And you can find those on www.kerstinkirchsteiger.com forward slash checklists. And now let's dive into today's episode. Today's guest, Dr. Laura Froyan, has a PhD in Human Development and Family Studies with a specialization in Couple and Family Therapy. Laura combines trauma-informed practices with the latest in child development research to help families find more peace, calm, and connection. Hmm, who wouldn't want that? She teaches conscious parenting and communication with heaping doses of grace and compassion Yes, sign me up <laughs> through her <laughs> podcast, The Balanced Parent, and her courses and programs. So join me in welcoming Laura Freuen. Hi, Hi, Laura. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on and taking the time 
to share your, you know, your life, your experience with my audience. As usual, I invite people on my show to explain and share a little bit more about why they do what they do and, you know, what's your biggest passion project at the moment. Yeah, you know, so um, it's interesting that I'm on this path of supporting parents. I um, mean, I've been on it for a long time, first as an academic, a researcher, a professor, and my life got really out of balance. My work life and my family life was was really not going well. And I had to really figure out how to change things so that I could be the mom and the professional um, and the wife that I wanted to be. And now I have the incredible blessing of getting to work with families all over the world to help them do the same. We all have a vision for our life. And oftentimes somewhere along the way, we wake up and realize like, this is not how we thought it was going to be. And I love meeting families when they're in that place and helping them get back to where they want to be in life. When you talk about vision, because I believe that's one of those leadership skills that you have, right? If yeah. you don't have a vision, you don't really know how to align your everyday decisions to mm -hmm. getting you closer towards that vision. How do you guide your families through that? Yeah, so um, I, I think it's slowing down and checking in with themselves um, asking themselves, I think so much of the time we kind of go through the motions of our everyday life and we aren't, we kind of work out of habit and conditioning. And what conscious parenting is all about is slowing down and noticing what is my habit? What is my conditioning? What is the thing that I'm kind of doing unconsciously and automatically? And is it in alignment with what I really want to be doing? So in order to ask that question, we have to know what is it that we really want to be doing? So slowing down and asking those questions of, what really matters to me? When my kids grow up and they look back on their childhood, what is it that I want them to feel? What what do we want their, the tenor of their, their memories to be? What skills and qualities do I want to equip my kids with as they move out into the world? What does it mean to have a family, to be a mom, to be a dad, to be a caregiver? What does that mean for me? Um, how can I you know, really understand what matters to me. So I think core values are a really important piece of this. And these things are different for all sorts of different families. You know, they they have different priorities, different goals for their kids, different hopes and dreams. And what I like doing is helping families get into alignment with those hopes and take an honest look at if their method, methods, the way they're showing up in their lives, their daily lives, um, is in alignment with their higher vision. I heard you say alignment and I think it's really important and slowing down. I think a lot slowing of slowing way down had, had to slow down through COVID, which had its other set of challenges, of course, for, for caregivers and moms. But I think a lot of people really had more time on their hands to reflect on their choices and on how, like you said, the, the values that you want to bring into the into your family. And we were forced to notice. We were forced. You know, the, the stuff that was outside, you know, happened in school, happened at work, suddenly all happened within our line of vision, too, because everybody came home. 
you know, we have these different spheres that our kids go out into and then we go out into, and all of a sudden they were right in front of our faces. We couldn't look away. And so we were forced to really notice and reckon with that too, um, which wasn't easy, I think, for lots of families. Do you think it was not easy because of noticing misalignment or? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or noticing struggles that they maybe didn't know that were there. I know lots of my families realized over the course of the this past year that their kids needed more support at school, the support that they weren't getting and that they learned differently than they, you know, they were expecting their kids to learn. They, you know, because we don't get to see, you know, if we're not homeschooling, we don't get to see our kids' educational journey. Yeah. And so, I mean, and I think that it was hard to figure out, okay, so I'm noticing these things. I'm noticing that we're out of alignment and then how do we go about getting back into alignment? That's why resources like yours are so wonderful. Yeah. And and what I like to, so we are homeschooling family. Mm -hmm. we, we had this realization three years ago that my school, the school my son was at, was not supporting him in the way that he needed. So we now know that he's neurodiverse and he needed a different mm -hmm. kind of su support. So for us, the choice was to homeschool, but it's true. It's difficult to realize that you set them up in an environment that's not ideal for them. And so there is a little bit of hurting. And when I look back mm -hmm. at my story, I often share that I wish, because we, we had him finish that year, we had him finish kindergarten. And looking back now, I would have pulled him out right then and there. But it is, it takes courage. It takes, you know, <laughs> reevaluating everything because I, I was not brought up homeschooling. I had no idea how to do it. I <laughs> yeah. We're still figuring that out. But the idea, what I want to share is that sometimes, even if we don't know how it's going to turn out, it's about taking that next step, right? It's about looking for resources, looking for community like your your podcast too mm -hmm. and um, there's lots of outside information for free that can guide you when you're in this crossroads of what what should I do I know I'm not where I want to be how can I get there or what what is my next step so I encourage yeah. people to listen to your podcast especially if they're looking for deeper connection with your kids and this is one of our yearnings I would say mm -hmm. I, I think I recognize that as a yearning that I want to bring up my kids I want to have those deep relationships with them of trust of you know we can mess up and we can still fix it and so this is what I want to cultivate do you have like you said when people realize that life and work and school were different bubbles how do you help them recognize what they want to change and, and how to go about it. So, I mean, the first thing, and I, I heard it in your voice and in your story that you just told about your family and how you, if you could go back in time, you'd do it differently. And I, I think this first piece is that's so critical is that we be kind and compassionate and gracious with ourselves. When we're being harsh or judgmental or kind of stewing in shame and guilt, it's really hard to see possibilities. It's really hard to look towards the future to and to make positive changes. And so that self-compassion piece is so critical. You know, when you were sharing your story, I I wish we could have reached back in time and, and held that mom that you were and just so much grace. And I wish I could have just poured it on you. And I really think we have to do that. Like we have to really pour into ourselves. So if we're in these crossroad moments where 
we're realizing like, no, this is not what I want. We're really struggling here. Things are really out of whack, really out of balance. The very first thing, obviously awareness is that first step to any change process, but the next one has got to be self-kindness. It's got to be self-compassion. It's got to be just taking a moment to recognize like that you are an imperfect human who's been doing the best that they could with the information they had at the time. And now you're learning how to know better and do better. And that takes time and that there is always grace and kindness available to you from your own heart. We're kind of not very good at that, right? We're <laughs> no, we're so critical usually. <laughs> we are. We're so bad. I mean, and it's 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 a lot of things. I think our sometimes our society, our cultures has very little patience for going slow and taking time and self kindness. You know, we we want to. We're striving. We're grasping. We're reaching. You know, all the time, and and that makes it really hard. And I think you know, honestly, a lot of us were parented in ways that did not inspire self compassion. Um, and even as we are working to change our outward approach to communicating with others, right? So using healthy, kind, compassionate, respectful communication with our kids and our partners, we often keep that old stuff, those default patterns, that old dialogue, judgment, blame, shame, and guilt. We keep that going on the inside, that internal dialogue. Um, and I, I really, I've really been feeling very strongly lately that we really have to be starting on the inside and that the change on the outside will be so much easier if we're working on that inside dialogue first. I think that if we're working on the outside only and not working on the inside, it's like an uphill battle all the way. We're kind of kind of fighting our our conditioning the whole way. It's we have to decondition ourselves. Just like I'm sure you had to de-school yourself when you moved into homeschooling. Yeah, you know, so we have to do that kind of inner work if we want ease and flow to happen in that out in our outer spheres. Because I don't know if that makes sense. I'm still figuring out how to talk about that coherently. <laughs> I, I think it does. Like I said before, I knew that I wanted to parent my kids differently than I mm-hmm. was brought up. I also had to work through my childhood, like you said, yeah. like like the hurt or the inaccessibility that I felt towards my parents I had to rework that or work through that so I wouldn't blame them Mm -hmm. right because they were like you said before they did what they could with the tools that they had at that time but it is sometimes a struggle to to reparent yourself because all those hurt moments come up what you want to give your kids now is actually what you wish you had, right? So it is a difficult journey to work work through. That's the work. This is the day in, day out work. And unfortunately, it's likely never done because our kids are really good at showing us where we have work and healing to do. They're beautiful in that way. And it's never their fault or their job, but they just do it quite naturally. You know, when they're three and they're saying no every, you know, other word, they invite us to heal the part of us that wasn't allowed to say no. You know, when they're six and they're figuring out their fashion sense and they're wearing wild outfits to school, um, we get to work with the parts of us that wanted to wear those things and didn't get to. You know, when they're 10 and they're asking, you know, begging for phones and, you know, wanting to do things or grappling with friend stuff, we get to grapple with that stuff in the inside too. So it's, there's this kind of constant evolution that happens. But what it really is, is it's about cultivating a kind, wise inner parent. 
Um, I'm guessing many of your families who are listening to this podcast are working towards more respectful and positive discipline with their kids. Um, and we just need to take those principles and turn them into it inward to ourselves. So when our kiddo's having a hard time and we're having a hard time, just like we would say to them, you know, um, all feelings are okay. I'm here with you. We're going to get through this together. We can turn inward and say those exact things to ourselves. And there's this beautiful resonance that happens when we grow up alongside our kids. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> so I, I come from emotional intelligence training. Mm -hmm. And and one thing that I always like to say is that there is no positive and negative emotions, right? They're information that we have to take in. And so that is right then. And, you know, with our kids, I think we kind of have more patience and we can. So we, we try really hard to let them sit through or sit with them through their feelings and give them the words but we sometimes forget about ourselves like I noticed that I was more disconnected with my feelings the more I was working with my kids through their feelings so I, I think what you said right there that we have to do that with ourselves yeah. is super important yeah you know we get this message that we have to be the like unruffled super calm parent, you know, we're steady, you know, in the face of the kid's storm. And that's true. We do. But I think lots of parents, because we are, we are learning emotional intelligence, we're learning emotion regulation right now, it, as if we're teaching it to our kids, because we didn't, we learned growing up, I don't know about you, but I learned stop crying right now. You know, don't say no to your mother. The, like I learned those things growing up. I didn't learn true emotion regulation. I learned stuffing. I learned how to stuff <laughs> as a kid. And so then it, like we go in, into it when our kids are having those big emotions and it's it we want to achieve that calm, that steady, that peace for them so we can project it for them and help them co-regulate. But because we don't have the skills we need, we stuff. And so we're in there just kind of hanging on for dear life, gritting our teeth and bearing it, as opposed to welcoming the opportunity, welcoming the waves of our child's emotions and the waves of our own emotions, letting them wash over us, hanging on with each other, um, being that rock as we, you know, in the harbor where, while the storm is, you know, raging around us and regulating, breathing through, knowing feelings don't last forever. They are a moment in time. Um, there's a beautiful sunrise on the horizon. You know, the, all of that is, I, I don't know, I, we, I think we get the message in the peaceful and respectful parenting world that we need to stuff and we don't want our kids stuffing. So why would we stuff? You know, it, it's, it, all, it all starts with us. There's <laughs> a long way of saying yes. So yeah, it starts with us. <laughs> you have to so, do that work. Can you elaborate on that? You say that in the peaceful parenting world, we I think, get the message to stuff? I think that we get the message that we are supposed to be these super calm, unflappable parents. And it's, I think that for some people, they can be that way. But I work with a lot of families. So when in the positive discipline, peaceful parenting world, I feel like there's kind of two kinds of families. One who are like, yes, this is it. This is, ex you know, they're both like, yes, this is it. This is what we want for our kids. There are some parents who get it, it clicks. And for whatever reason, they fly with it. And it's never a problem. They're able to really embody it right away. Um, they can take the class, they can read the book, and they're like, yep, and enact it, and they're great. And then there's this other bigger group of parents who 
read the books, they listen to the podcast, they take the classes, and in the moment, in the midst of it all, they still can't hold on to themselves. They still default to the tactics that their parents used on them. They still default to more mainstream and punitive measures. Um, they, They yell, they raise their voice, they lose their cool, and it's those parents that I think have this kind of internal work. They need to really learn these skills and embody them with themselves in their own kind of inner parent-child relationship if they want to really be able to natu- quite naturally and with a lot of ease do enact that, that parenting with their kids on the outside. That internal world is of vital importance, especially for those families who, who, are, who struggle to, to be the peaceful parent that they are longing to be. And I'm one of them. I'm one of those people who, like, I know all the things and it's still hard on a daily basis to show up in the way that I want to show up with my kids. It's an effort every single day. Yes. It just is. Okay. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I like that you said there's a a small group and the big group is the ones that do want to do better, but are struggling. Yeah. I love that. And, and I think a while back I recorded one episode where I was talking about the power of apology. Like, Mm. you know, if they see us, you know, even if we flip our lid and we, you know, we we yell at them because it happens. I mean, it happens in my home as much as I didn't want to do it, right? But I don't want to do it. It sometimes happens. Wait, but you're human? You're you're actually human? (laughs) Are you making mistakes? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) But the thing is, what I think is more important than getting it right every time mm-hmm. is to show them how to mend the piece. Like say, look, this was really, I should have been able to keep my calm. I don't know, maybe it was late in the day and I had already done so much regulation that I couldn't, I didn't have the capacity anymore or whatever happened, right? I can then show my kids how to make a mistake, pick myself back up, and say, hey, look, this is not how I wanted this to go. And, you know, talk about it then when everybody is calm and saying, hey, look, there's there should have been a different solution we could have found. What could we do better next time? And I think it gives them the permission to mess up. And it gives them, you know, it doesn't put so much pressure on them to always regulate themselves. And, you know, the expectation that they could, but it's rather, hey, we all... <laughs> We all mess up and we all have to find a way of how do we repair those relationships? How do we go, you know? Yeah. I mean, repair and reconnection are the cornerstone, the very foundation of healthy, resilient relationships. There, and in order to build that resilience, there has to be little mismatches, little missteps, little mistakes, some bigger than others with the a conscious attention to that repair. It's beautiful. Yes. And it's, these mistakes that we make that are human, you know, our common humanity, this is, you know, common humanity is a big part of um, self-compassion based mindfulness theory. Um, and it's, I think, the most beautiful part for parents because we're we're not alone and we're not in, unique in our humanity and our imperfectness, you know. And it's a beautiful thing to model for our kids how to ask for forgiveness, how to recognize within ourselves hold ourselves accountable. I think it's good to commit to our children, show them what we're doing to be, you know, to enact change in our families, um, how we want to show up differently and 
really reconnect. I, that's what, how resilient relationships are, are built. Just like when you're, you know, when you're working out and, you know, when you are lifting weights, you're making little tears in your muscles. That's what's happening. That's why it's sore the next day. And as they repair, it's painful. It hurts. And then you're stronger on the other side. It's, we have, it, that's what, how resilient, strong relationships are built. And that goes for our partners. That goes for our family members. It goes for our kids and it goes for ourselves too. Understanding that we can make mistakes and repair with ourselves, that's part of the game too. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the yeah. self-compassion piece again, huh? Yeah, there <laughs> it is again. And and what's beautiful about it is that when we take this view of things, every hard time with our kids, every trigger that we have, every little button that they know just how to push goes from being a big problem to being an opportunity. An opportunity not just to connect with them with them and help them, but an opportunity to connect with ourselves and heal ourselves a little bit more. Um, and I really enjoy seeing it that way. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mm -hmm. like opportunities, right? Me too, yeah. <laughs> it we... gives you a second chance. It gives you, yeah, an opportunity to do different. Yeah, and, and to learn and to connect and, and to more fully embody your goals and values. So do you have any words of wisdom for... <laughs> parents where one parent is more trying to work through these childhood like reparenting and the other one is more stuck and how to communicate or how to get them on a similar parenting journey or do you see it more as each parent has to choose his own journey kind of thing Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of power in leading by example and inspiring your your co-parent. Um, so doing your work, being willing to talk about it and be vulnerable about it, let them in kind of to the behind the scenes of what you're working on. Um, even calling them in for help on what you're working on can be really powerful too. Um, there are partners, right? There, there are co for most of us who are co-parenting. There were there are partners. Um, they've signed on for a, a journey with us, a lifetime journey with us, and they likely love love us and want to support us. And so, letting them in a little bit behind the scenes without an agenda of like I'm doing this, so now you do it for yourself too. But of a I'm doing this. Um, will you help hold me accountable? You know, I'm I'm really trying to be kinder to myself when I make a mistake. Is that something that you could help me with when I, you know, spill the coffee in the morning or whatever? So inviting them in and bring, you know, bringing them into the process, I find is much more powerful than dragging them in, kicking and screaming. They often kind of see how it's going, see the changes in the parent-child relationship and want to explore similar changes for themselves. I also think we have to recognize that we're different people with different work to do, different backgrounds, different histories, different conditioning and habits and, and unconscious processes and thoughts. And we all move at our own space and pace and time. But it's also likely that we have common goals, hopes, dreams, and values. So the circling back to when we started talking that visioning, doing some family visioning with your partner can be so helpful. And then discussing, okay, so if these are our visions, how are we currently, you know, how are our current efforts doing in supporting that long-term, that long-game vision that we have for our family and for our kids? Most families find that parents are and partners are goals and their values because that's what got us together usually in the first place. 
And they're just the misalignment for couples is, is in the, how, like how that looks in action, you know, how we go about achieving the vision. And that's quite a lot easier to handle than, you know, being truly misaligned. Um, And when we feel aligned in our vision and there's trust and appreciation and acknowledgement of the other one um it's easier to let go and let them you know to stay in our own lane as as partners and focus on us focus on our work and let them be themselves let them have their own one-to-one relationship with their children that is theirs to own and to reap what they've sown which can yeah. be hard. It's hard to, so then, then the compassion and the self-regulation comes back, back in, in those moments. But I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, my husband is, it's hard being married to a parenting and relationship expert, and he does not like to learn from me. And so I have a lot of opportunities to practice letting go and letting him be himself in our family. <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard. <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. Well, I, I, <laughs> I can resonate with a lot of things you said, because I think in the beginning, I tried to get my husband to do as I did, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what we want. This is what, because I was so protective of my kids, especially when they were little. Mm-hmm. And when they were little, it was really easy for me because he kind of stepped back and said, you're the mom, you know how to handle this. It really became more tricky when education came into the picture because he suddenly felt more competent mm-hmm. to talk about education rather than, you know, the baby stages and child rearing. Those decisions, yeah. he was like, you take them. I don't, you know, I'm not getting into your... And they aligned with him. So we were attachment parenting and Montessori and, you know, all these kinds of things where you you look for independence in the kid, like supporting the kids to become independent, whole adults. But, but yeah, when education came into the picture, it was... A struggle sometimes and for me I'm much more the kids will figure it out mm. <laughs> kind of homeschooler and he was like they need to be reading it they need to be doing math and so so this was like I, I really had to learn to step back and say hey we do this in family meetings so we talk about our goals and and we actually try to get our kids to set goals themselves now because now they're eight and five so yeah. we ask them, what are you interested in learning? How do you want to get there? And then we we provide the support and, the, you know, they're helping them chunk down and, and getting them towards their goals. But it was a new exercise for my husband to think about moving towards a goal. And we had lost, you know, a lot of connection of where did we want to lead our family towards? And so our family meetings, I, I really love them because they give us a space where we can just focus on that and then see what do we need to make happen and how do we need to show up and what, you know, so that's good. But it was really difficult for me to do, like you said, um, let them define their own relationships. Yeah. And to let them struggle a little bit too, to sit back and just, oh, it's hard. It's not easy. It's just, it's not easy. It's not but it's good, you know, it's good, hard, right? It's it's what's necessary. And it's not, 
I mean, it's kind of beautiful when you see them figure it out too. We all know it, like, especially like, so like if you're cool, you know, like you're into child-led work, you know, that there's so much more to be learned from that, letting them figure out and dig in and make mistakes, get it wrong 20 times before they get it right. You know, like that, that that's a really valuable process. So you've got to apply that to the adults in our kids' lives too, right? So you know, all of those interactions there, it was just not quite right, not quite right, not quite right. Every single one, they're figuring it out. They're learning, they're learning, they're learning. I, you know, I see this with my husband a lot um, and he's okay with me talking about these things. Like, so he, you know, he grew up in a home where emotions were just unacknowledged, you know? So there's, there's homes where like emotions are bad, don't have your feelings, but then there's also ones where like, we're just going to completely ignore, not speak to people who are having emotions. So like, they're just completely like, no one has them. <laughs> they don't exist. You know? And so he's still figuring out even, even now after being married to me and going to couples therapy, like, you know, he's still learning how to like empathize well with someone or put himself into someone else's shoes or think about how they would feel about it versus how he would feel about it. He's still figuring that out. And he makes a lot of, has a lot of like empathy mismatches with my kids. I have one kid who's really sensitive to that sort of thing too. You know, they, you know, they get into it and it's not my job to micromanage. It's my job to step back and support both of them and, and to be, have my one-to-one relationship with my husband and have my one-to-one relationship with my daughter and to avoid like the plague getting into a triangle with them, which is where we don't want to be. Triangles are very rarely healthy interaction, like structures. Yeah. How do you avoid getting into a triangle? Like, do you have a Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about triangles for a second. So I, I don't expect us to go here, but it's, it's so the a building block of all relationship is the dyad, right? The one-to-one relationship that, um, that you have. And then oftentimes when there is some dysregulation in the dyad, some conflict or perhaps even too closeness, you know, sometimes some parents can be kind of enmeshed with a child. You might, your listeners might know about this if they have a, a their own parent, they can recognize like we were too close, like my parents' identity was too much based on me. So sometimes when there's like disruptions in a dyad, we'll bring in a third person to regulate it. Um, we can see this when part parents are having a disagreement. There is usually a child in in the house who will say, no, don't fight or do something silly or perhaps even start crying to shift the attention away from the conflict and onto the child. So the real thing is, is just being aware of when it's happening and then redirecting the focus to the dyad. So when they're having a disagreement, my partner and my daughter, resisting the urge to insert myself and problem solve for them and solve it for them. When my daughter comes to me and say, oh, he just never understands me, he never gets me, you know, validating her and then redirecting to her, you should really talk to your dad about that. I know he really wants to understand you. Go have that conversation, you know, and supporting her and going, you know, I completely get it. It feels so bad to feel misunderstood by your dad. That must really hurt. I think you should talk to him and redirecting, you know. Um, when he comes to me and says, will you go try to fix, you know, explain to her what, you know, that I didn't mean what I said, I will be like, I, I could go do that, but I really think it'll mean more coming from you. Let's just give her some space and time. You know, so really like good boundaries is how you stay out of triangles. 
I don't know if that was helpful. Yeah, I <laughs> think that was a perfect example. Very Yeah. We do these things in adult relationships too, or they happen in work relationships all the time. Where, you know, Pam in accounting and, you know, what's his face over in receiving ha- like has this conflict and you're called in to manage it. You know, it's it's really can be disruptive to healthy relationships. I I mean Gosh, I still find myself triangulating my mom into my con- conflictual relationship with my dad. And I I know I'm not supposed to do it. And I still find myself on the phone like, do you know what dad just said to me? And I'm like, oh, crap, doing it. Okay, mom, you don't have to answer that. I'll go talk to dad, you know, and redirect myself to the dyad. Um, but triangulating is a very common strategy for regulating conflict um, or feelings or kind of tension in a relationship. And we just have to be aware of it because it it's not really that healthy to be doing. We already talked a little bit about the work bubble, the life bubble. How was it for you maybe before COVID, now that we're still in it? I don't know where you live and if it's still yeah. have limitations as to what you can do. How do you make work-life integration work? Since I left academia, I've worked from home. So my home has always, you know, I've so I already had kind of good boundaries about that. I have an office, I have work hours for myself. Um, so I'm already work was already working on those boundaries. And then my kids came home and my husband, who's a professor, came home and and that was harder. My kids are back at school and my husband is back working on the um on campus. And so I have my home to myself again, which is I need for my mental health <laughs> so much. <laughs> but I mean, think simple things like, you know, so my work, um, and I'm sure yours happens a lot on social media, um, which feels like it's, we have to be there constantly and we don't. And so having set hours where I literally lock my phone in a drawer during certain times, having really good boundaries with myself and being a really good like mom to myself, you know, like, so if we're, you know, we wouldn't let our 13 year olds have their eyes glued to the phone all day um, during dinner or, you know, during key times when they just get home from school and stuff. No, we will have good boundaries. We have to have like be good moms <laughs> to ourselves with those sorts of things. I think that when my kids are, you know, for in terms of those spheres, you know, so I know my husband has a practice that when he gets home or when he's going to pick up the kids, he gets there five minutes early and has kind of a decompression practice um, where he is getting out of work mindset and into home mindset. When I used to work outside of the home, I would have a journal in my car where I would do that. So I would journal, write things down, you know, get my to-do list for the next day so that kind of it was a brain dump so that I could be fully present. I think that that's something that can be really helpful. Having a set of affirmations um, that I always start up as soon as I can see my kid of, okay, I'm, you know, I am a, a present and peaceful mom. Um, however their day was today, I will um, receive it with open arms and whatever energy they cut, you know, having some, just some, some mantras that are tailored to you. Um, I think it's, it's easy to go find affirmation lists on Pinterest, but I think it's good to tailor them because you have different things going on with your kids. Building in time for rest and recreation. I think so many of us are coming out of a capitalist striving model and it's really not good for us. And I think after, you know, especially like these past 18 months, the research on what this has done to moms, especially working moms, I mean, moms in general, but 
I mean, man, we've had it hard. And so building in some practices to deeply nourish yourself. And I am, you know, bubble baths are great. I That's something that I love. I have kind of a bath ritual that I do, but not showers. Like showers are a given human right. <laughs> you know, those aren't self-care. Um, but walks in nature, um, whatever fills you up and nourishes and fills that cup, being really proactive with it, I think is really important. For me, that means calls that I can take while I'm walking, I take while I'm walking um, outside. And so, I mean, I don't know. I hope that those were helpful. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. It, yeah. I'm, I'm a huge proponent that everybody finds their own flow. <laughs> I always ask this question because a lot of a lot of moms come to me and say, how can I make it even happen? You know, and how, where mm. do I schedule it in? And and I think what you said, to be intentional, to have this pause, this break before you engage with your family is is immensely um, valuable to have, to really shut down what was going on. And like you said, our phones, everything spills into our life at the moment. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to have more. It's not hard to have those boundaries. It's hard to come up with boundaries that work for you, mm-hmm. I, I think. Um, and there's no one right way to do it either. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a workbook that helps families come up with rhythms and routines and rituals that really serve them. And so that's something that I'm happy to share with your listeners. Um, it's it's free. I, I built it at the beginning of the pandemic because people were feeling really chaotic. Um, but it's something that my family and I do on a seasonal basis. And we start with intention. We start with what do we want this season of our life to feel like? How is it feeling now? What's working? What's not working? What needs to be shifted? And being really mindful and intentional about building rest and space and connection into the flow of the day. There's absolutely time and space for for us. I think we so often put ourselves last on the list and it doesn't fully serve our family when we do that. And so really taking a hard look at where where do I fit in here? And it's okay for me to take up space in my family's time, you know? I, it's really important. So sitting down with the family, you have those beautiful family meetings. That's a great, you know, if your listeners do that too, I'm sure that they're, they're very inspired by you. This is a great time to sit down and think about like what's working, what's not working, we do that in our family meetings too. Like my husband is a golfer or an ice fisher. Like those, he does golfing in the summer and ice fishing in the winter. They're the two longest sports <laughs> and recreations you could do. <laughs> like it's minimum four hours, and so we have to be active in making sure he gets his his golf in and his ice fishing in, because um, he's a much better dad and partner <laughs> when he's gotten those things in. My stuff's a little bit right. easier to work in, but and, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I do mountain bikes, so I, I go oh, yeah. once a week at least for three hours. In the beginning, I felt so guilty, but I, I learned to, you know, I need it. I'm, I'm just, you know, <laughs> the whole week is better if I go mountain biking on Sunday. <laughs> and I think it's, again, if you look at your values, if a healthy mind, a healthy lifestyle is one of your values, if you don't do it, how will you ever pass it on to your kids? Yeah. Right? Like it's, yes, then and there, you're a better mom, but also your kids get those permissions later in life. They do. Right? And the other thing that's like, I think is so important and doesn't get said enough because I know when we're talking, especially to moms, we have to tell them how it's good for their kids and how it's good, you know, good for their family. 
But like, we're humans. It's good for us. Just for the, like, the woman or the the person that we are. It's good for, we're deserving of it in and of ourselves, even if it wasn't good for our kids. Even if it wasn't the right thing to model for them. Like, we would still be just as deserving of it. I think it's really important to like say that out loud, that just as a person, despite all the, you know, outside of all your other identities and pulls, like you're, you're a person who's deserving of kind and gentle treatment and time for themselves to feel, feel whole and well and nourished. Yes. And yeah. I'd love to add that I, I actually want moms to do what is right for them. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the shower is a good thing, right? <laughs> because often we, we're being told five minutes meditation, five minutes journaling, that's enough. And if it's not enough for you, then it is not enough, right? And yeah. we have to find ways to speak up about it. And we have to get our partners to help to create the time and space for us. Yeah. And I, it, in my experience, they want to. I, I think that our families want, want us to feel whole and well and nourished too. Yes. I think we can count on them you know, to be advocates for us, you know, when it, even when it's hard for ourselves. And I think what I noticed for me, I, I really needed to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. But the more I did it, I actually also, my husband learned to do the, like he had the same stories going on in his head that he didn't have time. He couldn't go away from family. You know, he couldn't mm-hmm. spend time alone because honestly, I was the only one holding myself back. And mm-hmm. he was doing the same for himself. And so we had like this feeling, we don't have family nearby. So it's just the two of us with the two kids. But it was really once I created that space for me and those boundaries to say, hey, I'm going to go, right? And I'm, I'll be back at that time. He also did more for himself. And I think yeah. as a whole, it has made our family a more healthy, you know, we have healthier relationship because we know we don't have to always think about the family. We have the right to think about ourselves. We have the right to to need space and time and, and even spend money on ourselves, right? So I think it was really helpful to have those discussions, to have those those moments. Yeah. And that's another beautiful like example of leading and inspiring, Le- you know, leading by example and inspiring change in others. That's beautiful. What a gift you gave to your family and seeking that out for yourself. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's still a work in progress, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> well, we are. It's always a work, back, right? <laughs> of course, yeah. Of course, we're always a, a work in progress. Yes, and that that doesn't have to take away though from from acknowledging, like, yeah, we've come a long way. I think we're nervous to acknowledge that sometimes, when it's beautiful, and our kids are, our families are really lucky to ha- have us. You know, like I think lot, your listeners right now. They're the people who are waking up and seeking change for their families and I, I think and for themselves and for their not just the current family, but their entire family line for generations to come. I mean, oh gosh. They're lucky. They're lucky. Listeners, <laughs> your families are so lucky to have you. <laughs> and it's okay to say that. It is. It is hard work, but yeah, I think we're doing we're doing our best, right? Yeah. And it's good work. It's a good kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah. 
So how can my listeners find out more about you? And I link to the freebie that you mentioned, the rhythms. Yeah, yeah. So um, you can all come out and, and hang out with me on Instagram. I do lots of silly reels. I'm not afraid to be silly while I teach parenting. Um, so I'm Laura Froyan, PhD on Instagram. Um, LauraFroyan.com is my website. Um, I have lots of free resources on there. I really like making workbooks. So there's lots of Lots of workbooks there, but I'll send you the link for the Rhythms and Rituals workbook. And yeah, my my podcast is called The Balanced Parent. Um, and so we have lots of great conversations all about having a healthy relationship with the people who matter to you. So um, your partner, your kids, and yourself. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, it was amazing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Work-Life Flow. As always, you can find all links and websites mentioned in the show notes. Make sure to get your copy of the four must-have checklists for kids so you can sit back and relax while they are getting ready on their own at kerstinkirchsteiger.com. That is www.kerstinkirchsteiger.com. And remember, keep being brave and share your story.